0: You know, even as a Christian, it can be easy for us to let what we see dictate what we believe, right? It can be easy for us to do that. You know, we're such um, physical people that we're just like, uh, you know, we're like Thomas, right? We're like, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers in Jesus's holes in his hands and I touch his side where he got pierced. I'm not going to believe that he's alive. But the beautiful thing about Christ is that Christ welcomes doubt. Doubt should never push us away from Doubt should never push us away from God. Jesus welcomes our doubt. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be start off, kick off in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read it. Chapter 12, verse 7 through 11. So it says in verse 7 To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much uh, just for your word, Lord. We're, we're really grateful, God, that we live in a place where... Um, we can do this freely, Lord, and um, we do think of our brothers and sisters across the world, Lord, where they do have to meet underground and in way worse circumstances, Lord, just to read, um, just to worship, just to gather together. And so um, every time we open this book, Lord, your word, we, we don't want to do it lightly, Lord, or carelessly, Father, and 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 not realize the importance of this and, and how it is life, Lord, life is found in your word. We find Jesus in here, and he is life, Lord. And so we just pray that you would open it to us, to our hearts, um, that whatever is said tonight, that, that it would be glorifying and magnifying the name of Jesus and, and nothing else, God. And so we just want to commit it to you, open our hearts, we open our ears, our minds, and we just want you to speak to us, God. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. We all said. Amen. Well. If I haven't met you, my name is Zach. I'm one of the leaders here at, at Refuge Young Adults and, um, and get to serve here on staff at church. And um, But here at Refuge Young Adults, we like we've been talking about, we've been going through this really awesome series this, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, and it's been amazing, and hopefully... As we've been going through these, if you've missed any of them, like Billy was saying, catch it on the podcast, listen to it. I would really encourage that. It's really going to help you. But hopefully, as we've been going through these things, I hope there's two things that we've been kind of pulling from all of this. I hope, number one, we've all been encouraged to live a life in greater surrender to the Holy Spirit. Like to recognize that the Holy Spirit wants to move in every aspect of our life and wants to gift us and wants us to use our gifts in every aspect of our life. Not just when we're here at church, but even when we're at work or with our family members when we're alone. That um, we want to be in greater surrender. And two, hopefully you've begun to recognize what you're gifted in. You've begun to recognize things, to see things that, like, oh, wow, I I didn't realize that I was naturally drawn to that. Or I I have a tendency to to use that or to do that. So hopefully you've been able to recognize where you are gifted so that you can use that gift to build each other up. Because like Paul says in this whole chapter 12 as he gets into it, When he writes about these gifts he wasn't writing these gifts you know wasn't listing them out so it could be like we said before like some enneagram test that you take and you're like oh this is what i am i'm a this wing that you know like oh sweet and finally i know like he wasn't writing it out for that purpose but if you read through we won't read through this whole chapter but if you read through this whole chapter you see that the purpose of the gifts was that we need each other paul was listing these to point out the fact that we're all the body of christ and, and he uses that example, he says, hey, the hand can't say, I don't need the head. And the eye can't say, I don't need the foot. And so it's, it's this realization that we all need each other. We all need each other. That not, no one Christian has all the gifts, okay? There's not like a super Christian out there that has all the gifts, all right? And all of us here, if you, if you follow Christ, all of us in here have at least a gift, so no one of us can do it all on our own. And the reason why God has gifted us this specific way is to keep us dependent upon each other, all right? The reason why he's not given you everything is to keep us dependent on one another. It's like, so like, you're dependent on those who, when you need mercy, you're dependent on the person in the church who has the gift of mercy, who can counsel you, who can comfort you. When you need, you know, wisdom, you're dependent upon the person who has the gift of the word of wisdom to come and to assist you when you need, you know, these certain things. And so it keeps us as the church of Christ to be dependent upon one another. And hopefully as we study these, you know, the reason why we're going through the study isn't just so you can sit down and you can watch all the really gifted people up here do their thing, and you're like, wow, I'm so entertained. This is amazing. That guy's so good at what he does. But the purpose of this is so we could jump in the game, okay? God wants us to get in the field. He doesn't want you in the stands. If you're a Christian today, he wants you to jump into the game, okay? And so that's the purpose, and that's the reason why we've kind of slowed down, and we've been looking at each of these individually and seeing where we can grow in these because in order for us to be us, the church, we need you to be you. We need you to be doing your part. <laughs> you know, that's, that sounds super like lame elementary, like you, you know, you know, like those little pep up speeches. But it's true <laughs> for us, for the church to, to work. We need you to use your gifts. We need every it takes all of us together. And so today we get to talk about two more spiritual gifts Andrew last week talked about the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, and man, if you're going through something where you need wisdom or you need knowledge, go listen to that message. It was amazing. It was really awesome. Um, but today, we're talking about the gift of distinguishing of spirits and the gift of faith, all right? So pretty crazy. Let's get into it. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> He's not sick today, too, and he still asked me to teach, so thank you. Um, all right, gift of distinguishing of spirits. Check it out. Look, in, look right there in chapter 12. Look in verse 10, and we read there where that, that gift is listed. You can find it right there. But what in the world is the gift of distinguishing of spirits? You know, maybe your translation might read it discerning. Um, but we know that that word there means to judge, to decide, or to pass judgment on. And I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you what this gift is it okay, what this gift isn't in our life. It's not the gift of you being really opinionated about something, (laughs) all right? Like, you're like, this is, oh, this is what I love and I can't, nothing else. Like, it's not you, your your opinion always being the right opinion. Like, you have that gift of just always being right, okay? Just get married and realize the fact that you are not always right, all right, right, babe? I realize that about myself every day. Um, So it's not that gift of being really opinionated or it's not the gift of being overly critical, About other people okay where you're just completely critical about the way churches ran you're like ah or you're really critical of the style of worship or maybe what people even wear to church oh my goodness like that's not what the gift of distinguishing of spirits okay it's not just being a super critic all right that's just you being a prideful sinner (laughs) who thinks they know everything so what is this gift well The gift of distinguishing of spirits, I have the definition written for us up here, is the supernatural ability to evaluate the origin, authority, and application of a prophetic message. I want to stop right there and kind of explain that, okay? It's the gift that's given for, when we talked about the gift of prophecy, we talked about that before, you know, let's say someone comes up to you and they're like, man, I really feel like the Lord's been giving me a word for you, you know? This is where it's good, and Paul even encourages us to, to weigh what is said by those who have the gift of prophecy. So if someone, maybe, if it's someone you know, usually you can be like, okay, yeah, I'll weigh it, I'll run it through scripture, I'll kind of, you know, pray, pray that God gives me a discerning heart about what you said. But if it's some random stranger who comes up to you and they're like, I have a word for you, and maybe girls, you're here, and, and, and the guy comes up to you and he's like, you're gonna be my wife, <laughs> okay? <laughs> uh... Before they tell you, like, this is just a word of advice, and this is, Paul would agree with me on this. If a stranger comes up to you and is like, or someone is like, I have a word for you, be like, hold that word. Let me get two or three other people to hear this so we can weigh what's said. So we can, and then go ahead, tell me what you're going to say. Tell me what you're going to say. And so this gift partly is being able to distinguish prophetic messages like that. Like to use it, okay, is that, to weigh that out, you know. But continuing on the the second half of this definition, which we'll kind of dive into a little bit more, more generally, this gift may be the ability to distinguish between demonic forces and the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in a person, all right? I really like the way that the New Living Translation puts this verse that we find this gift in, and I have it for you guys up here in the New Living Translation. It says, um, he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Now, maybe you came into refuge and you're like, man, I was not expecting to be talking <laughs> about demons and devil and like, just, this is going to be awesome, <laughs> you know? But this brings up a huge topic that we're not going to get into fully, don't worry. We're not going to get into it. But the truth of this topic is that there is an immaterial spiritual reality that we can't see with our eyes, and this spirituality is all around us, even right now, okay? And the Bible teaches about this spiritual realm, okay? And in this spiritual realm, we read in the Bible that it, it consists of good, meaning God and his angels, and it also consists of evil, like the devil, who is a fallen angel, and demons, who are other fallen angels, All right? And since we, like if you read the book of Genesis, since we are made in the image of God, therefore, we're connected to this spiritual reality even if we can't see it, that we're connected to this. Like what happens in the spiritual realm directly affects the physical world. I mean, you can find it all throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, and we're going to get into some of this, but this the, we have a spiritual component to us. We are body, mind, and spirit, body, soul, and spirit, okay? Look at, and I have the verse for us up here, Ephesians 6, verse 12, and I have it in the New Living Translation, and it says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, this is Paul writing to us, he says, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world.'" Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So we learn really quickly. I mean, if you haven't learned as a Christian, there's an enemy out there that wants to destroy everything that God is doing in your life, okay? And this enemy isn't flesh and blood, all right? It's not liberals. And it's not Republicans, okay? It's not Al-Qaeda, and it's not Americans, all right? It's not your neighbor who's really annoying and cuts the grass and does construction at like six in the morning when your little two-year-old is trying to sleep. And it's not, you know, the nice grandma neighbor who maybe bakes you cookies. I don't know where I was going with that. But the point I'm getting at is our enemy operates, like this verse says, in an unseen world, in heavenly places. And this unseen enemy wants to destroy and pervert everything good that God has created. And we see that even in the beginning of Genesis when Satan deceives Eve and Adam. He perverts God's truth. He takes something good that God has created and he perverts it. He twists it. Okay? So how does all this spiritual realm stuff play into this gift? Zach, you might ask. Well, I'm really glad that you asked that question. You know all the right questions to ask. In Jesus' ministry, we see it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Check out this verse that I have for you guys up here. Matthew 4, verse 24. It says that so his, meaning Jesus, his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought, and they brought to him all who were sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Check this out. Those oppressed by demons and those having seizures and paralytics, and Jesus healed them. And so Jesus dealt with demonic activity. Jesus dealt with demonic activity. And he used the gift of discernment to understand this, to understand this. And the, the weird thing about demonic activity is that sometimes it can be really obvious. You know, <laughs> you're walking down the street and there's a dark alleyway and there's a guy hunched over. It's got, you, know, it's, you know, maybe not always like that, but sometimes it's like, There are times where it is really obvious to tell that this is demonic. This is just not right. But other times it's difficult to tell whether a person has a deeper issue in their life or even a demonic stronghold in their life. And this is where the gift of distinguishing of spirits comes in to help to discern that. Check this out. Look what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. I have the verse up here too. It shows us an encounter where Jesus had, a, had with a man, and this man couldn't speak. But Jesus knew that it was a demon that was causing this man's muteness. And so it says there in Matthew 9, verse 32, it says that when they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. And look what Jesus does. Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. And the crowds were amazed and said, nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. And so we see even in Scripture Spiritual activity, spiritual activity happening. And as you and I follow Jesus in this world, if you haven't already figured it out now, you're in spiritual warfare. (laughs) You're gonna encounter spiritual warfare, okay? You're gonna encounter spiritual warfare in your life. And the reason why the church needs this gift is so that way we are able to distinguish between whether someone is influenced by the Holy Spirit or they're influenced by another spirit by something demonic or something against the gospel. And so we're just gonna take a look at some quick examples in the Bible where we see this gift being used. And the the first one is in Acts 8, and I want you guys to turn there to see this with your own eyes. Acts chapter 8. And in, this, in, in the chapter of Acts, one of my favorite chapters in here has one of my favorite characters, this guy Philip. He was one of the seven who were chosen to be a waiter and he ends up doing amazing stuff. He's such a rad guy. But this guy Philip begins preaching the gospel in Samaria and revival breaks out. All right? He's preaching the gospel and people just start getting saved all over. Okay? Even this man named Simon. And this man Simon was well known in the city of Samaria. He was well known in that city to be someone who practiced magic. He wowed people with his dark arts. He was really deep into these demonic magic arts and to where people even thought that he had like the spirit of God. The scriptures say they thought he had the spirit of, of God. the gods were in him because of what he was doing. So this guy, Simon, gets saved, right? That's awesome. We're like, praise the Lord, yeah. This guy gets saved. He believes, he gets baptized. But as we see later, as we're going to see later, it didn't really fully penetrate into him. That there were spiritual strongholds that were still in his life that were unseen. And so when the church in Jerusalem, they saw that a revival was happening because of what Philip did, they sent Peter and John over to lay hands on them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And look at what happens in verse 18. Let's re- you guys can read along with me. In verse 18, chapter 8, it says... Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part in this lot nor in this matter. Check this out, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Verse 23 For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. And in the bond of iniquity. Crazy. So as Simon comes up and he's like, you know, and some commentators think that because he was a magician that they would buy tricks from others. Magicians would do that. They would sell tricks to each other. Hey, this is how I did that. This is how, or this is what, in a sense, spirit I tapped into to make this happen. And so Simon, kind of like, not really understanding it yet, he's like, oh, can I buy this? And Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, using the gift of distinguishing the spirits, of discernment, he saw that this guy Simon, that the Holy Spirit wasn't filling this guy. There's something else. There's something deeper in his life that was plaguing him, that was kind of really at the root of what he was asking, at the root root of the problem. And through the Holy Spirit, Peter, he uses this to show that this guy's heart had bitterness in it, and was bound with iniquity, wild, wild. This guy was able to see, Peter was able to see beyond that. Another really cool example, look in, just turn a couple of pages over in Acts chapter um, 16. Acts chapter 16, in verse 16 through 18, just quick verses right here. This is Paul, he's, he's with um, Silas. And um, they're about to be thrown into prison because of preaching the gospel. And here in verse 16, it says that as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept she kept doing for many days. I love this part. Paul having become greatly annoyed, he turned to her and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her and it came out of her that very hour. Wild. And So Paul uses the gift of distinguishing the spirits to, to discern that this girl, she was possessed by a demon. Even though, this, is, this, this story always blows me away, even though what she was saying was true. Like how wild, like you look at what she was saying, it was true, right? They were um, servants of the Most High God proclaiming the way of salvation. That's what they were doing. They were out there preaching the gospel. That's what they were doing. But Paul cast this demon out. And I think he was following following in the footsteps of Jesus because if you look in the gospels, every time Jesus encountered a demon and they confessed him as Lord, Jesus always rebuked that demon. He never was like, whoa, you understand it? Well, Why don't you join the team? Like, No, like every demon that confessed Christ, Jesus rebuked. He rebuked it. And this, this, this is why the church needs the gift, this gift. And this is why the early church, we read in Acts, needed this gift. Because Satan wants to derail the work of the gospel by infiltrating it by infiltrating it, and by forming an apparent alliance with it. If he can't get you to join him, well, guess what? He's going to join the church. And we need this gift to discern, to to use that to discern that. You know, there's that famous story, maybe you've heard of it in high school, of of that Greek story of of how the Greeks laid siege of uh, the city of Troy. For over 10 years, they were trying to defeat this city, but they were unable to capture it. And at his wit's end, uh, a man by the name of Ulysses decided that they were going to leave a large wooden horse outside the city walls as a gift for um, the Trojans, the unconquerable Trojans. And the Greeks sailed away in apparent defeat, leaving that horse as a gift. And the curious and the proud Trojans, if you know the story, they felt confident enough to drag that gift, that wooden horse, into their walls even though there was a priest in their city that said, and he's quoted for saying this, that I feared the Greeks even when they bring gifts. So he was even there's even people are saying, "Hey, be wary of this. I don't I don't know if I trust this." But they still they brought it in and that very night, if you know the story, Greek soldiers crept out of the horse, opened the city gates from within and let the rest of the Greek forces in where they completely destroyed the city of Troy and burned that city. And so throughout history, We know that story of the Trojan horse to be a symbol of what? Deception and infiltration. That's the character of Satan. That's the character of Satan and his fallen angels. That they will try everything and anything that they can to creep into the church to distort and to pervert the mission of the gospel. To pervert that mission. And now, God's desire with with this gift, God's desire for us, is, is that we wouldn't be deceived. That's his desire with us. He wants, you know, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. God wants us to walk in truth. He doesn't want us to be deceived. And so, you know, just because you have this gift, let's say maybe you feel like you have this gift. This this doesn't mean that you can, like, go and start a TV show on Travel Channel, like, start demon hunting all over the world. You're like, I have the gift. You're a demon. You're a demon. We're going into the world's most haunted places with the night camera locked in and, like, we're going to catch demons. Like, that's not what this gift is. Like, so you could just, like, you're some, like, Rambo secret agent to go and hunt demons, all right? Nor does this gift mean that, you know, you should buy a vacant firehouse if it ever comes to sale and you end up becoming the next Ghostbusters, all right? And you're just like, yeah, who are you going to call, you know? The church. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, you know, that does, that's not what the purpose of this gift is, all right? That's not what the purpose of this gift is. The purpose of this gift is is to protect the purity of the gospel, to not distort it, to not twist it. And if you read any amount of the New Testament, if if you're a student of the Bible and you read any amount of the New Testament, you see in book after book, Church leaders writing to the church saying, beware of false prophets and apostles. Beware of those who are trying to deceive you, who are trying to twist the gospel. I mean, heck, look at the book of Galatians, which is like seen as like the declaration of independence for us as Christians. That's what it's like. Paul's writing that like, you have freedom. You're not under the law anymore. There's people that are trying to creep in and and add the law to the gospel and say, you're saved also if you keep these rules too. And Paul's like, that's, demonic. That's not God. That's not truth. John would write to us in 1 John 4.1. I have this verse up here for you to read. He says, um, this is uh, the apostle John. He would say, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Check this out, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And even Paul wrote to the Corinthians um, about false apostles. In his second letter, look at what he says in Second Corinthians eleven verse three. He says, "I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from what a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what Satan's wanting to do. He's wanting to take away that sincere, that purity of devotion of the gospel to Jesus." And then even later in, in 2 Corinthians, verse 13 and 15, Paul would say, check this out. He says, such men are false, false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, and their end will, be, will correspond to their deeds. This is pretty wild, Right? And I don't, I don't mean to teach this, you know, to freak you out and you're like, you start looking at the people sitting next to you and you're like, Zach, I'm sitting next to demons right now. <laughs> I'm going to need you to, <laughs> you know, like, or it's not for you to like, okay, Zach, you know, we we're talking about it before. Like, what do you do? Foreheaded demon comes up to you. What do you do? You use the gift of, dis- gift of discernment to know which head punch first. You know, and you know it's like that's not what that's not what this I'm not trying to strike fear or try to strike confusion, confusion um, in you guys with this, but the point is we all need supernatural discernment. You know, we can't believe I think if there's anything these past couple of years have have taught us, we can't believe everything we read online or see and you know or see with our own eyes. We can't believe everything. We need spiritual just dis- um, supernatural discernment. And you know what? Even on a, in our age, you know, being 20-somethings, even though I'm 30, being 20-somethings, <laughs> we need this supernatural discernment in the people we hang out with, who you date, the relationships you're seeking to pursue, choosing your friends. Man, we need this. You need this, you know? I mean, if you're trying to date someone that isn't a believer, I'm just going to say it right now. That, God doesn't want you to do that that's a sin. God doesn't want his spirit to be joined with idolatry, with those that aren't, that aren't saved, you know? Not that God doesn't love that person, doesn't want to see that person get saved, but we need discernment, you know? And sometimes it's a little bit harder. Sometimes you come to church, and you're like, you know, you're praying like, Lord, you know? I remember when I first came here, and I was like, God, I was single, and I was like, I just want to meet someone, like, Lord, please, you know, and you're like, you're praying, and maybe there's those weird people that kind of like creep into your DMs, like, yeah, you know, you know, I had a dream about you the other night, and the way you were just, you know, and you're like, you know, and some of us, the sad thing, you know, the truth of it, some of us, we're starving for affection, we're like, let's hang out, let's go hang out, any affection, you know, and we have to be careful, guys, we have to be careful, okay, we have to use and ask God for this gift. God, give me discernment to know, if, is this you? Is this the Holy Spirit? Or is this something demonic seeking to, to draw me away? You know, praise the Lord, he answered my prayer. I have a wife. I met her here. Yeah, so praise God, can happen to you. Um, but maybe she's here right now. Maybe he's here right now. Don't look around, okay? Um, but this gift, you know, it's not only just to tell when there's something like demonic if there's something not right, but it's also to, to to distinguish if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It goes that way as well, you know? Maybe you're listening to a Bible study, probably not this one, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> you're like, man, God really spoke to me, <laughs> you know? Or you're having a conversation with a friend, and you just feel that, you know? I recently had that. I, had a, I, I got the chance to, to have sit down and have a conversation with a good friend of mine, and I haven't seen him in a while, and the stuff that he just man, he just poured into my soul and just encouraged me. And I felt like the Lord was like speaking to me through him. And I was like, I left home and I even told them, I was like, man, that was the Lord. You know, have you guys ever had something like that? Maybe have you meet with someone and you're like, man, I needed that. I needed that. We use the gift of discernment to recognize that that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can speak to you through, through the church. You know, his main way of speaking to us, God, is his word, but he could speak to us through each other. And so if that happens, we use that gift so that way we don't just be like, wow, that was amazing. All right, I'm just gonna go and live my life like, whatever now, I'm not gonna obey what God was showing me through that person. We should use that gift to obey what the Lord is speaking to us so that he pricks our heart and we, we step out in faith in whatever it is he's leading us into. And remember that, check it out. John chapter 10, verse 10. Probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have it up here. Jesus said this. He said that the thief, speaking of Satan, he comes only to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what Satan wants to do in your life. But look at the contrast. Look at what Jesus says. He says, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Satan, on one hand, He's wanting to destroy your life. He's going to do whatever he can. He's going to use relationships. He's going to use family. He's going to use work. He's going to try and creep into the church. He's going to do whatever we can. We need the gift of discernment to understand and to to point that out and flag that out and say no to that. But we also need the gift of discernment to understand ways that God is calling us into fuller life. Has God been calling you, maybe, as you're sitting here, to be obedient to something that he's been telling you to do that's... Stepping into more life, more purpose of what he's calling, of, of what he desires for you. Because that word for life that in that verse up there, it's not the word for biological life. Jesus isn't talking about, I've come to give you biological life so you can breathe and live and just be alive. But he's talking, the Greek word is the word zoe, okay? And this means life with purpose. The way life was meant to be lived. That's what he's calling us into. He's calling us into that, you know. It reminds me, I'm trying to sell my my Jeep right now. It's a really sad story. Sad story. I'm trying to sell this car right now, okay, and the reason why I'm selling it is because it's not living its purpose, it's not, that's just a straight thing. I don't take it off-roading. It's a mall crawler. It's just on the fire freeway, losing its tread on its awesome tires that it has and stuff. And it's like, that machine was meant to have dirt under its wheels and be crawling over rocks. And if you've gotten off-roading, you know the addiction. You know what it's like. Like, that's what that thing was meant for, okay? Since I had a kid, the past couple of years, it's not been doing that. I think I, think I got, I had, cha- I had to buy new tires because the tires were bald from me driving to work. You know how depressing that is? <laughs> having a, an American-made Jeep that is just, ah, so I'm having some, but, that, but what I'm getting at is that's what that Jeep was made to do. We were meant for something else. Our life has purpose. God has purpose for your life, and it's only found in a relationship with him. Are you asking him, what is it, Lord? What are you leading me into? And are you obeying and stepping into that? Gift of discernment. There it is. Do I still have you guys? All right. Last one. Gift of faith. We're going to keep going. So, gift of faith. This one is a lot easier to talk about. And it's found in chapter 12. I love you, Andrew. (laughs) I feel like you just do this for your amusement. Right here. This one is also found, we found it in 1 Corinthians 12. And when you read this gift, the gift of faith, it can almost sound a little elementary, right? Like, It's too simple, like, the gift of faith, what? You know, compared to these other gifts, like the gift of tongues, if you listen to that one, you're probably like, what, you know? But let's not let the simplicity of this gift cause us to miss the miraculous ways that God wants to use it in our life, all right? So let's come at this with a fresh perspective. All right, so let me tell you what this gift is. Well, we know in the Bible, faith means what, anyone? to trust, to have trust, right? To depend on, to rely on, to have a reliance. That's what faith means. When you, you know, you, we all have faith. You know, that's what, that's what that faith means. But this gift of faith is different than just ordinary Christian faith, okay? While we all use and we exercise faith every day, this gift of faith is exactly that. It's a gift. It's something different. And not every Christian has this gift, So here's the definition for you. I threw it up here too, so you guys could read it. The gift of faith is given and it's appointed by God for situations of the impossible. This faith is not the faith granted to all Christians, but a kind of faith in an almighty and sovereign God that specifically believes that God is capable of intervening in the most dramatic or supernatural or even more subtle and mundane ways. Man, that's what the gift of faith is. And so if you ever meet somebody that has this gift, a Christian that has this gift, they're probably gonna seem like insane optimists, okay? <laughs> that's probably what they seem like if, you, if you've met someone like this. Like they deserve their own PBS show that comes right after Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, okay? <laughs> You're like, wow, you deserve your own TV show because you are just insanely optimistic all the time. <laughs> they, and the reason why is because they believe beyond the visible circumstances in front of them. You know, we've all faced it. We've, you know, we've all in here faced it, circumstances that seem over our heads. We've been like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how any good is going to come out of this. F- the gift of faith comes in and sees beyond that in, in the face of, it rises up in the face of impossibility. <laughs> you know, and people with this gift, man, they're awesome. We should want to be around them you know and listen to this don't be that guy okay or that girl that comes up to those people with this gift and you kind of like hey i know god is good and all but the bible does talk about suffering you know and like you talk them down to reality like don't be that don't be somebody that rebukes someone with the gift of faith like that you know my wife always get you know like gets on me because sometimes i'm a realist all right and and to my own like shame like it's just like it destroys and I'm too realistic at times and I'm like how's this gonna work out it's not gonna work out we're gonna die like that's probably what's gonna happen (laughs) like you know you know we should never do that to people who have this gift bring them bring them down from that because their gift that it's great faith in a great God it's faith with an open hand trusting that God is in control and that God is good that's what it is it's not faith that's like, oh, man, you know, because there's those times where you're like, man, I'm believing, I'm believing that God's going to, let's say, heal this person. You know, like I could speak of on my own, um, in my own uh, family, you know, a cousin of mine had cancer, and we were praying for him so much, and we believed that God was going to heal him, that God was going to heal him of this, but he passed away. So what do you do with that? Is that gift of faith then disqualified? Oh, Zach, you didn't really have it. No, because gift of faith, is holding it with an open hand and trusting, like I said, that God's in control and that he's good. He ultimately knows what what is good. So let's look, so why does the church need this gift? Well, (laughs) the reason why the church needs this gift is because life can be depressing, right? Life is super depressing sometimes, you know? I don't want to be a bummer for your summer. That might be a little... (laughs) But life, is, life can be depressing, right? You know, I, I mean, maybe you walked in here and you're like, Zach, you don't have to remind me that life is depressing. I work a dead-end job for minimum wage with grown adult customers that act like they're in middle school. Like, you know, and, and like, life is depressing. I do this Monday through Friday, you know, full-time. Or maybe in all seriousness, maybe you walked in here and you're facing impossible circumstances in front of you. And it's overwhelming your thoughts. It's all you think about. You wake up in the middle of the night worrying about it, um, dreading it with anxiety. It's causing you to be anxious. It's weighing you down. And you're like bummed. You're like, how is this, how is anything good going to come out of this? You know, even as a Christian, it can be easy for us to let what we see dictate what we believe, right? It can be easy for us to do that. You know, we're such um, physical People that we're just like, uh, you know, we're like Thomas, right? We're like, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers in Jesus' holes in his hands and I touch his side where he got pierced. I'm not going to believe that he's alive, you know? But the beautiful thing about Christ is that he, Christ welcomes doubt. Doubt should never push us away from him. Doubt should never push us away from God. Jesus welcomes our doubt. He welcomes us in. Like when, for I mean, that story, like that story, For Thomas, when Jesus appears to his disciples again, who's the first one that he comes up to? It wasn't Peter. It was Thomas. And the first thing he tells Thomas is he says, put your hands here. Like he heard. Jesus knew what he said. And he's like, I heard your doubt. Now see and believe. Jesus welcomes our doubt. So never let your doubt. If you're ever doubting maybe even just your faith or just your circumstances, never let that draw you away from God. Rather, let it draw you closer to him so that you might see and that you might believe. But the gift of faith comes in in those instances of impossibility, the situations you might find yourself in. And though it might see impossibility, rather it lets the glory, the beauty, and the goodness of God eclipse it all. Eclipse it all. And... Really, the Bible has so many stories. I was trying to write down stories on this, and I, like was, I was like, I, I'm going to kill you guys by telling all these stories. But I want to look at just a couple of these before we close. And in the Old Testament, I want you guys to turn here. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Kings. It's before 2 Kings. Um, <laughs> no, but it's after 2 Samuel, if you can't find it in your Bible. 1 Kings verse or chapter 18. If you have my Bible, it's in page 300. Um, but here in 1 Kings 18, and I want you to see this with your own eyes because this is awesome, all right? What's happening here in chapter 18, sorry, in 1 um, Kings chapter 18, there's an evil king, Ahab and um, Jezebel, and they're basically their purpose is to destroy every God-believing, God-fearing prophet, and and worship idols, and draw the nation of Israel into like gnarly idolatry. Okay, like wicked, some of the most wicked idolatry you'll ever read. You'll find from these reigning, um, this reigning king here, King Ahab, and um, and so what Elijah does is he kind of calls all of the nation of Israel, and they're following after these idols, and he calls all the nation of Israel together. And he calls all of the prophets of Baal, which was a false god that they worshipped. And he called all of them together, and he basically gets them all together, and he says, hey, we're going to have a show-off right now, all right? So you guys can decide which god is real and which god is not real. And so look here at verse 30. It says here, check this out. You guys have to read this. This is so awesome. In verse 30, it says, Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with those stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about that altar, as great as it would contain two Says of seed. That's a lot, in other words. Before I keep going, okay, so he's building this altar, all right? And so he says, all right, guys. Whichever God answers by fire is the real God, okay? What he does, and I I forgot to read it before, but what he does is he tells the prophets of Baal, he tells them, all right, you guys are gonna get your shot. Call down fire from heaven. And so they begin to do their thing and they do their chants and they're doing all this crazy stuff and like nothing's happening. It's quiet. And like Elijah is a savage, okay? (laughs) Because he mocks them. He's like, maybe your God is busy. Maybe he's on a journey, And he says, maybe he's relieving himself, like in the bathroom. (laughs) That's basically what he says. Maybe he's taking a bathroom break. He can't hear you right now. And so he straight up like mocks these guys. They're doing everything they can. They're cutting themselves where blood is falling out to try and call out to their false god to bring fire down and consume this, this sacrifice on the altar. Nothing happens. All right? So this is where Elijah's like, all right. He's like, watch this. He builds this altar. Let's pick it back up in verse 30 verse um, 32. And with the stones, he built the altar in the name of the Lord. And check out what he does. He makes a trent around the altar as great as that would contain two says of seed. That's a lot of space, in other words. And he puts wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, check this out. Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering of the wood. And you might be thinking, what? Water's not supposed to go on the altar. We're supposed to call down fire. Not water. He's a savage. Just wait. He so four four jars of water. They soak it. And he says, do it a second time. Why not? (laughs) They do it a second time. He's like, you know what? I'm feeling good today. (laughs) Do it a third time. They take these four giant water pots, pour it all over the sacrifice on the altar, and it says that the water ran around the altar and completely filled the trench around it with water. So this thing is soaked. And it said, at that time, check it out, verse 36, of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Check this out, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Dude, oh my gosh, so amazing, okay? soaks. His altar three times over with four giant jars of water. This thing is wet, all right? And he had that much faith, the gift of faith being used in this prophet to believe that you can wet it all you want, man. In, in the midst of impossibility, he's like, you can wet it all you want. I know my God. And fire came down. And I love how my translation says it, it licked up all the water. Like, think of like a dog. You know, it just completely dried it all up and consumed it. I'm sure none of us had to deal with a situation like that before in our life, right? <laughs> we needed faith like that. <laughs> Imagine that. Man, so amazing, the gift of faith being used by Elijah. And you know what's so cool is you look at the end of this story, God is glorified. Not Elijah. They're not saying, Elijah, you're amazing. Wow. What do they say? They say, the Lord, he is God. God gets glorified. And that's the purpose of this gift, the gift of faith. It's not to glorify the person. It's to glorify, It's so that God might get all the glory. There's another story in Acts 12, and we're not going to talk about it. You're going to have to, if you want to read it, read it on your own. Sorry, I'm I'm going. I don't want to go too long. Okay, it's super rad. Peter's in prison, an angel saves him, slaps him, wakes him up. The church is praying for him because they think he's going to die. God saves. You you got to read it. You got to read it. Okay, it's super awesome. Um, but Peter gets rescued from this prison and. As the church is praying, and I love the end of the story, and I just want to say this part—the end of the story. Guys, God rescues Peter out of this prison in Acts. Um, the it's Acts chapter twelve. Okay, if you want to look at it, look it up. Look it up. He rescues Peter out of this prison, and the church is praying for him. And the first thing Peter does is he's like, "I'm gonna go to the church. Like they're praying for me." He goes there, he knocks on the door, and they don't believe it's him. Okay, this church that is praying for his release—they don't believe it's him. You know, to where they they're like, they tell the girl, the servant girl, like, "You're you're seeing a ghost. You're crazy." Where eventually, they let him in. They're like, oh my gosh, it's you. Wow. How long have you been out there before? You know, have you ever done that maybe to your significant other? Like, How long have you been there? I didn't know you were out there. Um, but he, he, um, what's, what I love about the end of this story is it shows us that God works despite our imperfect faith. Okay, This church was praying. They had faith, but it was imperfect. They didn't really believe that it was Peter who was there. God works despite our imperfect faith. I mean, it reminds me even of that story of the father who has a demon-possessed son, brings him to Jesus, says, your disciples weren't able to cast out this demon. And Jesus says, all things are possible to, to him who believes. And the father, with such honesty and desperation, cries out for his son. I mean, you can't imagine it, like his heart for his son. And he cries out, I believe, but help my unbelief. Wow, such honesty. And Jesus heals him. And the disciples ask Jesus, and they're like, why couldn't we cast it out? And I love what Jesus says. I have the verse for you guys in Matthew 17, 20. Jesus responds to them, and he says, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, you have, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move on from here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I love that. Jesus said, it's not about big faith it could be imperfect, small, mustard seed-sized faith that moves mountains. I, and I like how it's not the other way around. He's not like, if you have the faith the size of a mountain, you can move a mustard seed. Yeah, you know? You're like, ah! You know, you're like a kid, you ever did that in your little bend, spoon? You know, um, it's not that way. You know, maybe it was just me. I was weird. I grew up in Texas, sorry. Um, uh, but... It's small faith that does big things. And it's and the reason why is because it's not about the greatness of your faith, it's about the greatness of your God, who you have faith in. That's what it's about. The gift of faith isn't about how much faith you have, it's about the goodness and the greatness of who God is. And the Bible even tells us, and I have the verse up here too, Romans 10:17, what fuels our faith? Where do, where do we grow our faith? Romans 10:17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You might come in here and say, I have weak faith. I don't know how God can work in my life. I don't believe it. Well, then I would ask you, are you reading your Bible? Are you reading your word? Because God's word is filled and preaches so much of God's character and his good promises towards us. Like Jeremiah 32, 27, where where God says, behold, I am the Lord. Not you. I am the Lord and the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Or like Luke 18, 27, where Jesus said, um, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Nothing is too hard or difficult for God, period. And so, what are you facing tonight? What impossible thing might you, might you have brought in tonight and you're like, man, I don't know how God's gonna work this out in the future. I don't know how this is gonna happen. I don't know how God's going to work this out for good. I can't see past the mountain in front of me. You know, the Bible, this is the last story. Sorry, there's so many that are coming to my mind right now. This is the last story. The Bible says that when Moses and the Israelites had come out of Egypt and they were wandering through the wilderness and God was like, I'm leading you to a land flowing with milk and honey, okay? And so they're like, all right, we're going to go scout out this land. So they send out 12 spies into the land to see it. And they all come back and they all start off by saying the same thing. They're like, this land is legit. It's flowing. I mean, there's giant grapes. It's amazing. And they bring back some of the grapes. They're like, look at this, it's giant. And they're like, this is amazing. It's filled with life and fruitfulness. But 10 of the spies come back and they say, but it's also filled with giants. There's other nations that are living there right now. And we're too too, too tiny to, to defeat them. We can't do it. All except for two, Joshua and Caleb, who said they believed in God and they said, We can do this. We can do it. God is with us. They had faith. They said, We can do this. When they saw that impossibility, they had faith. And, and you know what's interesting about faith is it's contagious, it rubs off on, on others if you surround yourself with people that, have, that are filled with this, it, it rubs off on others. But just as easily, fear and discouragement rubs off on others. If you're a bummer, if you're a Debbie Downer, you're someone who's always bumming on life, man, and you're wondering, why does nobody want to hang out with me? That's why, okay? I'm going to tell you right now. It spreads. Fear will, is just as contagious as faith. It'll spread all around you. You know, Spur- Spurgeon has this funny quote, funny quote. He says, if you lie with dogs, you're going to get fleas. And he's kind of saying, who you hang around with, that's who you're going to become like. So we should be careful who we surround ourselves with or what we're even spreading. Are we spreading fear or are we spreading faith? So this is what we should do as I close. Let's obey scripture and earnestly ask the Lord for the gifts that we lack, where we lack in it. Because God is generous and he loves to give us everything we need so we can abound in every good work. Are there giants in the hills before you tonight? Sure. But let's ask God for the gift that he's given to the church that allows us to throw those hills into the sea. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have given us these spiritual gifts, Lord, not just for our own benefit, Lord, though they, we do benefit from them, God, but for the benefit of each other, Lord, to build up the church. Lord, I can't help but keep thinking about that, Lord, about how faith is contagious, Lord, that it's so easy to let discouragement ruin our day, ruin our week, and take us down a dark path, Father. And so I pray for those, Lord, in here today that might be facing impossibility in front of them. Lord, you know who they are. Thank you, God, that you know their specific situation. Lord, they they might not even need to air it out. Maybe they're tired of explaining it over and over. God, I pray that you would give them this gift. Lord, to believe beyond what they can see. That they wouldn't let their doubt draw them away from you, God, but like Thomas, that it would draw them to the feet of a risen Savior. So God, even as we close tonight and as we worship you, I pray, Lord, that faith would arise. That you would allow faith to well up within us. Lord, and that you would put it within our own hearts, God, to fuel that faith with your word. To read your word. God, there's, I, I, there, maybe there's some of us in here that need to resurrect a devotional life that died months ago. God, I pray, Lord, that Your love would overcome them. Lord, that would be Your kindness. Jesus, Your Word says that leads us to repentance. That we would understand, Lord, that the enemy just wants to steal from us just wants to kill us Lord just wants to destroy every good thing that you're doing in our life Lord when Jesus you have come as the good shepherd that you might give us life and life more abundantly Lord let us do whatever it takes Lord to run that way towards you into fuller life Lord into deeper life into that purpose you have called us into Jesus and let it start right now God we start it right now, Lord. Here we are, even with our hands raised in open surrender, our hearts open before you, God. We pray, Lord. We give it to you. Whatever it is that we're facing, Lord, we, we lay it at your feet, Jesus. And we pray, have your way. We hold it with an open hand. Thank you, God, that nothing that might be above us is above you. Jesus that your word says that heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool Lord every gnarly thing that we face in this life that that might cause anxiety to us Lord it's under your feet tonight it's below you Lord you are the God of the impossible and so we believe in you Jesus let faith rise in us God as we praise you we love you thank you for this time in your word Jesus be magnified in us God and in the church We pray in your name.